0: Dallas? You're gonna have to hold your position for a minute. I've lost the signal.
1: What? You sure? Look, look
0: around. Are you sure that it's not there? I mean, it's gotta be around there somewhere. Check that out, Lambert. You may be getting interference. Dallas, are you sure there is no sign of it? I mean, it is there. It's gotta
1: be around there. Dallas? All right. Uh, am I I clear, Lambert? I want to get the hell out of here. Oh, God, it's moving right towards you. Uh... Move! Dallas! Move, Dallas! Move, Dallas! Get out! Oh! No, oh, not that! Why are Wake up! Dallas?
0: No. easy. Dallas? Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, What?
1: Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a
0: genius? Veronica, why are you pulling
1: my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 139, Alien. So a pretty big one. I would say when I think about my
3: all-time favorite movies, Alien is definitely in the mix. I mean, it's not like number one, but it's certainly one of those ones that I think about with Jaws, the first Halloween movie. I consider this to be right up there with those.
2: Yeah, I would agree. For me, it's pretty similar in my heart to where I have another recent science fiction movie we did, The Thing, although my history with Alien is much longer, and there's so much more to it because of all of the sequels and the franchise and all of those things.
3: I would also say uh, Ridley Scott's follow-up to this, Blade Runner, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, so I mean... This is a big deal episode. It's the 40th anniversary, right around now, of this movie. It's crazy to think that this is 40 years old, but... Well, when
3: I was watching the Blu-ray copy of it, I was like, wow, this looks incredible. I mean, I'm sure it's been like super touched up, but I can't believe how good it looked.
2: Yeah, it's something that we remarked upon for the effects with The Thing, but... This one doesn't have as much like creature effects and like gore stuff. Sure. But, but I would even go as far as the look of say space and everything.
3: Space and like the, the ship, the yeah. interior of the ship, I think is awesome.
2: Yeah. I remember seeing Prometheus, which is the first prequel that they did for the franchise. I'm this glad you franchise. bring this up because I wanted to touch on this a little bit too. And but, I go. saw that in the theater in like the IMAX 3D. And at the time, I thought Prometheus was the best looking science fiction movie i'd ever seen which is something that doesn't really get talked about very much because it's such a polarizing movie sure that people seem to have really strong opinions about one way or the other but the look of it it did look is really unbelievable cool. like,
3: the atmosphere around all the characters it's like a living thing in that movie it feels like
2: yeah so alien we'll get into all of the sure sequels yeah. and prequels here in a minute but Alien is this science fiction slash horror classic directed by Ridley Scott, released in 1979, somehow was made on just an $11 million budget, which is crazy. Yeah. For scale, Prometheus in 2012, $130 million Oof. budget. Yeah. So times have changed. A little bit. And the screenplay was written by a guy named Dan O'Bannon. Which we heard a lot about recently. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, conveniently enough, we recently attended a screening. It was kind of a 40th anniversary celebration screening of the movie. And this one guy things, who had a relationship <laughs> yeah. with Dan O'Bannon was there speaking. Well,
3: one of the things that Zach and I like to do is attend these classic movie nights for $5. They're part of the AMC rewards program that we are both, you
2: know. Well, anyone can go, but uh, yeah. we use our <laughs> right, we, thing to go so for So it doesn't basically. cost us any more money,
3: yeah. But we've had kind of a mixed bag experience of them. Sometimes you just show up and the movie just starts, which is actually great because, you know, no trailers or anything. So you get out of there and it's not like a three-hour affair. Right. But we have had ones where there's different people that work at the theater that seem to be hosting them. Sometimes they try to make jokes, usually resulting in, like, Zach putting his head in his hands (laughs) and just humiliation and embarrassment for the person. Well, these...
2: Retro screenings always seem to bring out the most interesting characters yes. that you'll see at the movies. And there's there's certain people that, let's just say that they laugh like a little too hard at things that aren't funny, and it's just right. like, have they ever been in public before?
3: Well, what did we see <laughs> where they were going to show a video of something beforehand and all the people
2: that were in it? Fright Night.
3: I oh, think. Yeah. And they were doing what, like some sort of Fright Night the musical or something?
2: <laughs> yeah, or some sort of a play or a musical. Yeah.
3: And they're all the people from the cast of this play were in attendance that night and they were gonna show a clip from it. Yeah. And the projector just didn't take it, it
2: didn't work. Right. Oof. Yeah, that was chilling, that yeah. whole experience. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's just waiting for this stupid thing to play and right. never plays. <laughs> so,
3: you know, this one pales in comparison a little bit to that, but it was the longest time before the movie actually started for this one. I mean, so we had our, our host and then special guest,
2: some dude. Some who- guy who co-wrote a book with Dan O'Bannon who has passed away, I guess, but, whoof. In and of itself, not necessarily terrible. Just spoke for a little bit, kind of interesting, but then it led into a cute, like a, like a trivia yes. experience so, that went on forever.
3: They had three different prize packages. <laughs> I mean, one was involving you got this book that he wrote with Dan O'Bannon. One was getting the book and a copy of the script for Alien, and I think there was like a super package, but I can't remember what the third. I think uh, it was like it was.
2: a Funko Pop or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that know. is
1: what it was. Yep. Some
2: weird thing. But, okay, so the first couple of questions, there seemed to be at least one person in the audience that knew the answer.
1: We were
3: in the upper deck, people getting very riled up up there that they weren't getting called on when they would hand. Meanwhile, their
2: every time they got called on, no one answered it correctly. Right. So <laughs> I don't know what they were so mad about. Yeah. But after a few questions, it became... Just questions about random things that no one knew the answers to, and they would just take guesses for like five minutes. I was just
3: getting furious. I was like, can we just start this fucking movie? Like, I totally thought that I was going to be out of here after an hour and 45 minutes today, or however long the runtime of Alien is. I was not expecting a 45-minute intro and trivia session.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and then finally the movie's about to start, and... We're sitting in the deluxe reserve seats, and as then we are want to do. <laughs> this guy just like ran up and sat down next to me, and I didn't really think that much <laughs> of it. And then you tell to- tell me afterwards that it was the guy right. that was t- talking with the about guy
3: the movie. whose name uh, certainly was escaping my mind at the time.
2: Yeah, his name's like Mark Lore or something like yeah. that. I don't know he, how much he didn't a- really have anything directly to do with the movie Alien. Matt yeah. Lore,
3: right? His Matt name Lore. he. Co-wrote a screenplay writing book with Dan O'Bannon. Years later, his name on the cover of it in the smallest print possible. <laughs> but yeah, how much of a non-celebrity did he feel like sitting next to you that night?
2: <laughs> I did notice when the movie ended, he he clapped like really hard. Oh and yeah, neither of us were clapping. Well, we there just, were like, parts there. he was
3: definitely like overselling quote funny parts in that movie. I remember him like laughing really hard
2: at a couple parts.
3: Oof. Yeah, <laughs> like I
2: didn't even I don't remember. <laughs> Thank God I didn't realize
3: that's the the one big down to seeing those classic movies is it's always an audience that's going to like clap and audibly remark to or, <laughs> certain parts,
2: you know. Well, I guess you haven't sat through Endgame yet.
3: <laughs> well, I know that we get that for some of the modern movies, but it's just the fan base that really sticks with the same movie over and over every yeah. year
2: yeah, I know. There's a certain annoying thing. It's like I said about the people laughing at the jokes before it even starts. Right. It's just like, have these people been outside of their house sure. ever? It's just, what what is going on? But anyway, we were going to do a Hitchcock film for this episode for various reasons. That's not happening. We went with Alien, 40th anniversary. We're going to get to Hitchcock later in the summer. We haven't tackled that yet. But Alien is one of those franchises that's existed our entire lives right for sure become this big thing i don't know if anyone really thought that that's where it would go initially i think this was only ridley scott's like second film oh wow i don't really think people were like oh yeah this is going to be a future thing to bank off of but what are your thoughts on the rest of the alien franchise outside of this original film. Well, I know people
3: love Aliens and hold it up as one of the great sequels. For me, it's still far inferior to this one, but I'll watch it. It's... I
2: enjoy Aliens quite a bit, but I I agree that this one is better. Yeah. I'm I'm definitely all in on the first.
3: For sure. I mean, I love the vibe and the feel of the first one. Aliens feels way more like a sci-fi adventure movie, where this first one is way more of a sci-fi suspense horror movie feel
2: yeah this one's a science fiction horror aliens is science fiction action yeah basically it's a different vibe different thing altogether it's definitely
3: cool still i mean aliens feels like a huge movie alien feels like a little bit smaller and more contained even though they do have huge sets and big special effects sequences and everything it just feels like a more contained thing
2: so after aliens which was directed by james cameron we get Alien 3.
3: Which is always an interesting, odd direction for like the series to go. It's a very
2: dark film. Directed the, by David Fincher. It was David fin- Fincher's first feature. He was fired from it three times. <laughs> he wanted his name removed from it. Yeah. Constantly fighting with the studio. The end result is mostly a disaster.
3: Does he still maintain that he doesn't want his name associated with it? Or he's... Well, I mean, I think product. at this
2: point it's. Right. Well, I guess. So much time's passed. What difference does it make? I now? know, but
3: I mean, is it one of those stories where he, by the end of it, didn't want anything to do with it, or was he okay stamping his name by the end of it? No, do I don't think know? so. Okay, so.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think. He, he was, was d-
3: never happy with the final product. No. Oh, my God, no. Yeah.
2: But, yeah, it takes place in, like, this prison, and I don't know. People were really into aliens, and Ripley leaves with. Newt, the right. little girl, and then the, uh, what's his Michael face? bain Yeah, yeah, and they both are just dead at the beginning of Alien right. Three, and yeah. people were not happy about that. Yeah. Then the movie itself—it doesn't
3: even really feel like a continuation to me.
2: No, it seems to take place in a completely different franchise. Yeah, like it's just something completely different.
3: Heard things that like yeah, David Fincher just wanted to get rid of that stuff because he just wanted this to be like his movie. I don't know if that's true. I've heard things said like that before.
2: Yeah, it's possible. It's just a grim movie. It's not super scary. It's pretty boring. There's some decent stuff in it. And then at the end, Ripley is killed. Yeah. Only to come back for sure. Alien Resurrection. Well, yeah. That's which, the good thing about sci-fi. No one's ever really dead. In the timeline, takes place way, way later after Alien 3. Yeah. I don't have the exact years written down for everything, but... It's like a hundred years in the future or something. It's it's just, crazy.
3: Go, you know, quickly on Alien 3, though, I, I just feel like you have Alien, you have Aliens, two huge hits, and then you're in the office of the studio kind of hearing the pitch for what the idea behind Alien 3 is going to be. I, I just feel like that never would have took for me. I would have been like, yeah, I don't know if I'm into this direction.
2: Yeah, it's interesting how they t- treated this franchise in general. Granted, James Cameron was a big director by the time he did Aliens, because he re- had done Terminator and stuff, but it was Fincher's first studio, yeah. it was his first feature film. I always it, felt they like just throw it to some guy, I mean, it, The more logical
3: weird. continuation for me was something that involved the alien or, you know, aliens like getting to Earth or something. I don't know, like, to go to this weird, desolate prison planet Yeah, just seemed like such a strange departure.
2: Yeah, you'd think that they would have taken it more seriously just because they were able to get Sigourney Weaver back. The first two were huge successes. I don't know. I don't know why Alien 3 was just such a disaster, but it was. However, I actually prefer Alien 3 to Resurrection, which I consider to be a disaster of a movie. It is. Part of the problem with it... But again,
3: Sigourney Weaver back in the mix.
2: Yeah, part of the problem with it is that the CG... Looks terrible. Was just not there yet. I think it came out in, what, like, 98? 97? Yeah, late 90s, sure. There's some interesting stuff in it. There's a cool visual thing with those deformed attempted aliens in the jars and stuff. Well, that
3: whole premise to me is, like, bizarre, that they're trying to clone the alien and clone her. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's a (laughs) weird
2: plot. It doesn't really make sense that all of a sudden they can't just find other aliens yeah it's just like okay
3: i mean the movie almost has a similar feel to that one movie we did for the listener request deep rising yeah it kind of feels like a better version of that similar
2: time frame probably but resurrection sucks and the franchise was pretty much over at that point until ridley scott returned to science fiction 2012 prometheus Kind of like George Lucas returning to an old thing to do a prequel thing. And I think initially they wanted to do at least a prequel trilogy leading into the original Alien. Of course. It can never just be... I don't know if the plan now is to do something different. I know that there will be future Alien films. However, they've only done two from this particular... Chain, which is Prometheus and Alien Covenant.
3: I definitely liked Prometheus when I went to see it. I definitely felt like it wasn't perfect and I had complaints, but I overall enjoyed it and thought the look of it was awesome. I will say, when I rewatched the original movie, though, it always makes me think that, like, why did they do so much of the exact same shit with Prometheus? Like, a lot of the stuff of them, like, landing on this weird planet, leaving the ship, like, going and exploring that other crashed ship, it feels like exactly the same.
2: Yeah, I mean, their reason for being there is different. They don't know about the Xenomorph things yet in Prometheus. They're looking for these supposed architect-builder people that may have started the human race. Right. But, yeah, I mean, the premise of Alien, Aliens, Prometheus, and Alien Covenant are all kind of the same. Yeah. There's some reason for them to land on a planet, get out, and then chaos ensues i mean it's a tried and true formula right when you break down the star wars movies a lot of them are kind of the same oh sure when you break down you know they don't want to fuck with the formula because when they did in three and four those are by far the worst
3: no i get it i just with prometheus i felt like there's a certain half hour 40 minutes of it that almost feels exactly the same as the first alien
2: kind of i think part of the allure of prometheus is that they didn't put alien in the title and sure it takes basically the entire movie to To even get to to a xenomorph seems like kind of its own thing at times but when you go back and watch the original you do see a lot of the same visual stuff like the space jockey and the shape of the ship and then that ship is there the same kind of ship and a lot of the visual stuff like the people like
3: leaving and walking to like the ship there's kind of like a storm going on yeah that you know the first person getting attacked by one of the face hugger things or whatever
2: yeah but the 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 creatures in prometheus are slightly different yeah and that's part of it that never quite makes sense to someone like me well that's
3: the, i think they're trying to d- show that like it was so many different iterations of this that took to get to what yeah. the actual alien is
2: because then there's that thing that gets inside logan marshall green yeah. and then he passes it to Numi rapace right. and then she's got the thing growing in her but it's not the regular xenomorph it's she's that- got
3: that ever so handy abortion machine
2: i will say that that it's kind of a crazy thing to exist and convenient but like it's such an unbelievably awesome scene it is that is cool and when you watch a movie like alien covenant and there are zero memorable scenes.
3: Yeah, Alien Covenant was a huge disappointment.
2: Just throw me a bunch of cool, weird yeah, shit. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, yeah, the, the whole logic of having that machine that's capable of pulling the thing out of her is kind of sketchy whatever at com- best. But it's awesome yeah. looking. You're what- just like, this is
3: fucking crazy. That's true. And whatever complaints I did have about Prometheus, I was actually kind of in on the end. Like, with Noomi... Just taking the ship and like David's head and they're going to go try to find these. I mean, it seemed ridiculous, but I was kind of like, all right, I'm into this. I want to see where this is headed. And then they just kind of completely blow by it.
2: Yeah. Never really clear to me why Numi wasn't involved in the in covenant. Why they just went with a whole different.
3: Yeah. Well, it's again, it's like they do the alien three thing again where they're just like, oh, yeah, everyone's dead. The architects (laughs) Numi, There's only David.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Covenant was definitely a, a disappointment. Now, did you ever fuck with the Alien vs. Predator movies at I've all? I've seen
3: both of them. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Just you to want have to talk about them. unmemorable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I saw the first one in the theater. The second one, was it even in the theater? I don't know. No, it was, <laughs> yeah. but
1: a should short it have run, been? right? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I didn't watch either is, of them.
3: If you need to know anything about Alien vs. Predator 2, Sam from True Blood is in it.
2: Yeah, I think you may have told me the this owner before, of
3: Yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sam Merlot. That's right. So it all started in '79. Who knew where it was going to go from there? Now that the House of Mouse Disney is overseeing it, basically yeah. because they've bought Fox, who knows where it's going to go? They claim that they dead... should
3: just do like a short before the movie with like Mickey Mouse having like one of those things burst out of. Yeah, it would be awesome. Right.
2: Well, they claim that Deadpool and Alien and several other of the R-rated Fox franchises will continue to be R-rated and there won't be any change in that respect. But who knows? I I don't know. I mean, do they really need more Alien movies? No, they don't. Yeah. I would only be interested if, A, they brought in a fresh director, a new voice that had an original idea and really was passionate about it, or B, if fucking 90-year-old Ridley Scott if this is all he wants to do one more time yeah yeah i mean granted he did covenant and it sucked but the guy's so old now if he just wants to keep doing this until he dies and just let him i guess but the first one let's talk about the look of it i think we've probably mentioned on the show before it's something in blade runner and star wars and all this shit it's that used future look yes
3: we have talked about this yeah it's
2: very different from how futuristic things from like the 50s and 60s were made which everything was like that immaculate looking thing and they started to realize that that probably wouldn't be what things look like. Now, granted, in the 70s and 80s, they were imagining an analog future, which never existed. Okay, right. And it, it's interesting but how it people cool. think about it now. It's almost like this alternate future that we never experienced as humans, but people can look back on these films and accept as almost like a different timeline. Sure, Like something changed, and they this is this analog future that never happened because we moved into a very digital world that these filmmakers never quite envisioned you know like in the nostromo and alien they're like you literally using like computers and shit that have been obsolete since like 1979 (laughs) it's just like we made zero technological advances in like 300 years or whatever
3: the people on the nostromo would see an ipad and be like what the fuck is this (laughs) what future is this from
2: yeah, this company that's obsessed with bringing back a Xenomorph, they, I mean, they, why would they even need to bother oh, when I they know. had like yeah. iPads and Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> the set design of the film is pretty awesome. It's got this very claustrophobic feel, which of course contributes to the horror element of the sure. film once they're trapped in there with the alien. And another thing that makes these kind of movies unique is since they take place in space... And they're waking up from this hyper sleep thing. Always
3: a good start. I enjoy
2: the awakening from the frozen sleep. And as a result of that, there's just no time in space. Yeah. Time is irrelevant. Right. There's no sun rising and setting. So it's very disorienting. I always liked
3: that in Interstellar how much fucking time is passing. These people are in space
2: and like not aging
3: yet, like lifetime is fucking passing on
2: Earth. <laughs> The film relies a lot on the score and the pacing of it and establishing this world that is truly unique for 1979. Obviously, when people were seeing this film for the first time, they had no reference point for what was happening. So it takes its time in establishing these characters, this ship what they're doing, yeah, and you don't really get any major scares for, like, the first 40 minutes or so. Well, and just, like, real quick, speaking of the vibe, the pacing,
3: like, the horror feel to it, this movie has kind of, like, one of the more famous taglines that I remember, you know, it's, like, in space, no one can hear you scream. Yeah. Which is such a great tagline for the movie, and it definitely helps fuel that vibe that it's, like, this isn't just, like, an alien movie. It's not, like oh, it's a space creature movie. The whole feel of it it has that kind of like Halloween, like where they're being stalked by a killer.
2: Yeah, it's definitely built upon suspense. It almost functions a little bit like a slasher movie with a killer hiding around, taking them out one by one. But it's got that science fiction backdrop.
3: The killer has like a supernatural ability to be in all these different places, Yeah, just like a horror movie.
2: The concept of the human settings were designed by Ron Cobb and Chris Faust, and I love how everything looks from the chamber where they're all waking up to the area where they eat and everything. It's very claustrophobic. You never feel like you can get out of it. Yet, from the outside, you can see Nostromo seems huge. Now, granted, they're carrying like 20 million tons of mineral ore, so... Whatever That's probably that a huge part of it. Right,
3: Their actual mission, is that clear to you?
2: Well, no, the, their actual mission is to bring the alien back. Wait, wait,
3: not known to...
2: Not known to the crew. Right. Right. Yeah, I, we'll go over that. But I wanted to talk a little bit about Sigourney Weaver as the hero of the film and women as heroes in general in the films of this time period, whether it was this or Terminator or whatever... And how that's kind of just swept under the rug and ignored. Yeah, nowadays. people act like that was something that never happened. Right now, it certainly didn't happen enough. Sure, but there's very little credit when we're pushing narratives about like Captain Marvel or Wonder Woman right. or whatever. It's like these kind of films did exist for whatever reason. People just and were hits, by the way. Right. And when you, think it's not like what...
3: people were like in the '70s or the '80s or whatever. They were just like.
2: Oh my gosh, there's a female action hero in this movie. I'm not seeing that. <laughs> yeah, it seems like identity politics has just like kinda of taken over everything that we think about. And right. so the positive aspects of Alien and then the negative people that would be against something like that, like the incels or whoever who get so mad at Bree Larson or whatever. Like <laughs> yeah. all of that you. noise <laughs> <laughs> No. All of that noise just gets like pushed into our faces constantly now, and we oh, can't right. ignore it, and it's just a huge part of the narrative surrounding superhero films and films in general. When 40 fucking years ago, Sigourney Weaver is the hero of this movie, Linda Hamilton a few years later in Terminator, and then eventually in Terminator 2- Which a, is a real badass. Alien and or uh, Sigourney Weaver in Aliens in 86, I mean- I don't know why are these things That woman in Life Force in 85 <laughs> well, the she was nude the alien. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well that was what women were supposed to be, nude we and need,
3: villains. <laughs> yeah, we need more <laughs> alien movies like that. I don't know, it's just a, it it sticks
2: out to me and she was Life
3: Force 2 starring Alexandra Daddario. She was
2: relatively unknown. Sigourney Weaver was. Right. She was known for being in some Broadway stuff but had really only been in like one other film this is her first starring role and times were just different I mean people would just roll the dice on different ideas first-time directors all the way up to Alien 3 first-time director unknown stars now it would be you'd have to have established names in the movie established director well it would be noted to death
3: definitely one of those movies that I feel like has like the perfect cast Like, all of these people just kind of seem like this rinky-dink space crew. Yeah. But it's also, like, recognizable faces, like Harry Dean Stanton and
2: John Hurt. Things are different now. (laughs) It's really all I can say. Okay, so there you go. It's just, I don't know. I don't know if people are appreciating enough how different the 70s filmmaking style was and how you could just make a movie with unknown directors and actors and... It turns into a big hit, and that was just par for the course. Yeah. Now everything is so micromanaged, and a huge science fiction movie would probably have to be a part of a franchise. A, but if it wasn't, then they would have to. They would be more strict about it because they would be super afraid of losing their investment. I don't know. I think ultimately it was the money that ruined Hollywood. Well, (laughs) too much money got involved. As it
3: usually does. (laughs) Heaven's Gate happened, and everything changed.
2: Right. Well, that's that's what I mean. They they lost the money. Yeah. Okay. So the title sequence of the film, it's pretty special. I love the slow reveal of the letters at the top of the screen. Yeah. It takes forever, but... It looks cool. Yeah. It's certainly unique and it stands out. I I don't really even remember seeing anything quite like it in recent times, let alone... I'm sure it was pretty unique then. And you have to remember this is coming a few years after Star Wars. It's coming uh, over a decade after two thousand one a Space Odyssey yeah People...
3: there's definitely some two thousand one Space Odyssey type vibes going on at parts of this, yeah, just with the uh you know the artificial intelligence and even kind of the Android character having like its own motives
2: right yeah, and I think you know when they were trying to come up with a name for the computer, Ridley Scott thought that Hal in 2001 was like the best possible name so (laughs) they went with mother in this which is pretty good too yeah it opens on the commercial towing vehicle the nostromo crew seven so let's go over them real quick ripley played by sigourney weaver then you had dallas played by tom Skerritt, who at this point was pretty well established as an actor had been around for a while was probably the most known face. Wow. Which is kind of crazy. It is a weird thing to think of. He's I guess Harry Dean Stanton was pretty well known. Yeah, I mean he's just like a character actor type dude that plays seemingly himself in every movie for the past (laughs) fifty years. Kane played by John Hurt, who was pretty well known I guess. I'm not sure, but would become more well known in the next couple of years. Yeah. Lambert played by Veronica Cartwright. Brett played by Harry Dean Stanton. Ash, played by Ian Holm, and Parker, played by Yafik Kato. Now, if you had your choice, do you prefer Lambert or Ripley, looks-wise? <laughs> I, I think I'm... I, I, <laughs> Let's you pick know. it up. We need to start picking it up again.
3: Well, listen, I, I think once we get to a certain point in the movie and we see what's going on with Ripley underneath the space outfit, I'm I'm all in, you know?
2: Oh, wow. Yeah, I think I like Lambert a little okay. bit. There's something about her. I mean, granted, she is... Pretty worthless as a person in sure. the movie. Sure, you
3: know, I'm attracted to that strong female presence in Ripley. No, that's true. Lambert you, doesn't quite have that.
2: Yeah. You seem to look like a tough, strong woman. I, I, true. I, I lean more towards traditional gender roles.
3: <laughs> <To the> worthless <laughs> women.
2: The cargo is refinery processing 20 million tons of mineral ore, of course, returning to Earth.
3: One of the things that I always think about when I see a movie like this, I feel like it's a oft-used trope to have... In these space scenarios where there's like eight people on a ship or something like that, it always seems to be a two to six ratio when it comes to women to men, Mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, like you said, like the claustrophobic vibe, I just feel (laughs) like there'd be like a lot of issues.
2: Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, I I think that that would always factor into people being alone in space in this kind of an environment because on board this ship, they're able to breathe normally and wear regular kind of clothes there's no we don't know if they have like the fuck machine from high life high life yeah yeah i mean there would be a lot of potentially negative energy in the air i would think i don't know
3: especially once you start getting into this world where it's like ripley's messed around with like a couple of the dudes
2: (laughs) i think she's a little more professional than that i think so too so, you don't ever really find this out in the film itself, but it takes place in the year twenty one twenty two, about two decades after Alien Covenant, 57 years before Aliens, which you don't find out till Aliens, obviously, okay, when yeah. she's floating around. Alien 3 takes place right after Aliens, and then Resurrection takes place in 2386, which is 260 yeah. years or so after Way Alien. in the
3: future. And I feel like they're still using, like, machine guns or something in Alien Resurrection. There's that whole thing with, like, a team of mercenaries. Yeah.
2: Oh, God, Resurrection stinks. Yeah. So Prometheus kicks things off about 11 years before Covenant. So that's about 30 years before the events of Alien. Okay. When you look at it from that sense, this Wayland Corporation, what is it called? Like, Wayland. Utani. Yeah, right. They first find out about these things.
3: Utani is not often mentioned. You yeah. hear a lot about Wayland.
2: Well, it is like it's like a British Japanese
3: conglomerate company that yeah.
2: started in 2099, apparently. Okay. But they first find out about these things in Prometheus, which would have been thirty or so years earlier.
3: And what do you think Dallas and Ripley and Kane actually are? It almost feels like I don't know if they're, like, former military that are, like, contracted by Wayland. It's hard to tell. I mean, they seem like they have some sort of militaristic background.
2: I don't think so. No? Because Ripley never mentions that in Aliens, which is very military-oriented. That's right, yeah. I think they're just people that get hired by this company to fly the ships out and man the spacecrafts. They don't really have a particular skill set beyond just okay running these base missions it's
3: just you know all these referring to themselves as officers and everything i guess that's just general ship protocol
2: yeah there's like a captain yep who is dallas and then second in command who is kane and then ripley is third i yep. believe lambert
3: is seventh
2: no she would be ahead of parker and brett because well, they're getting half shares right i mean come on matt yeah, pay yeah. attention to the movie <laughs> the whole share's conversation I know, that goes on and on heavily featured yeah mother awakens the crew out of these pods that look like coffins which is kind of interesting okay the visual it's weird to me that they all sleep in the same room yeah because the ship does seem huge
3: <laughs> you think there was other options i don't know everyone could add Well no i mean that's
2: just i'm assuming that's how it's designed but yeah. i don't know why ridley scott wanted everyone nude in this scene he said that in the one commentary Yeah, people didn't go for it. (laughs) Yeah, he he said, I lost out on that fight. (laughs) For some reason, and he was basing this off of the idea of, well, that's how it would be in one of these sleep stasis pods. And I'm like, well, what is that based on? (laughs) They're not real. (laughs) Why would you have to be nude? (laughs) (laughs) So Mother awakens the crew because of a transmission received from a nearby exomoon called LV-426. Originally, it's supposed to be a distress signal and the company policy states that they're supposed to investigate the source of any distress signals or face the forfeiture of their shares yeah which is a big deal to most of them so they're going to pursue this distress signal and land on this moon
3: this is what i don't get as part of the overall secret plan they knew i mean they being like wayland company was aware that there was a what we find out to be a warning signal being broadcasted off this moon.
2: Right. I guess they did know that. They had yeah. to, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that. All right. But right now, it seems organic that yep. they're just f- returning to Earth and then they come across this signal. All along, if you pay attention, Ash is always pushing everything right. in a certain direction. We need to go. He's reminding this out. them of the policy. He's saying we need to do this, do that. It's pretty subtle at first and then as it, goes on, it's amped up, and you can really see his influence on things. So they're going to go land on this moon, which ends up damaging their little shuttle that they take because of the moon's atmosphere and then the rocky surface and everything. So Brett and Parker have to repair the ship. Meanwhile, Dallas, Kane, and Lambert are going to leave the ship to investigate on the moon itself. I do love the technology that they use as like spacesuits and stuff oh yeah, it's so primitive looking however they did a pretty good job in prometheus of of making it it look more legitimate but yet also making it look retro right that idea of the retro future you know what people thought the future would look like in the past sure and yeah prometheus again comes through with really cool costume design and Everything about the look of Prometheus is pretty great, in my opinion, and it follows the tradition established in these earlier films.
3: One of the things that I have to give this first one a lot of credit for, especially the script, is everything that they built into what we're about to find out. Like landing on this planet and this ship being there, and once they start exploring it and kind of going into that main room with this giant, weird skeleton... Yeah. Like to have that in the movie and it really doesn't relate back to anything. Right. Like it, it's just such a cool idea. I love that they kind of have that in there and you're just like, what the fuck is going on with all this stuff? But you, n- it never factors back into the movie.
2: Yeah, because they very well could have made it that they just get out on this moon and then they just find the eggs. Right. And then that's it. Yeah. So much more ominous to have this, like, other ship crashed and,
3: like, something happened.
2: Yeah, they established this idea of world building, which is extending the story beyond what we actually ever learn. Right. So there's this whole other thing that you can speculate about. Again, I hate to keep taking it back to Prometheus, but I feel like they did a pretty cool job in that movie of subverting expectations, but also filling in a lot of the blanks. Yeah. I don't know. Well, well they we'll, yeah, they bring you right back to this same scene. Essentially, yes, but there's there's a lot more to it. Yeah, and it's like a temple at first. Like right. the actual ship True. is like under the ground. Okay, so Dallas Kane and Lambert they find this derelict spaceship. The look of the ship is really cool and ominous. It's like up on those rocks, like way up above. It looks huge. It's this horseshoe shaped thing. Yeah, which doesn't seem really convenient from getting from one end of the horseshoe all the way to the other <laughs> end. You got to yeah. walk that whole U. But whatever, it looks cool. They find the space jockey guy in that seat, and the whole detail of the ship's interior is really cool and yeah. weird looking. I love how in Prometheus you find out that that giant trunk thing is just part, of, part a of a the, helmet like, mask. Yeah. Because in Alien, you just think that that's what it looks like, like the shape of the creature. It has like an elephant trunk.
3: Yeah, and it's definitely bigger than a human, right? Way bigger. Yeah.
2: They're bigger in Prometheus as well, but I don't right. even know if they're as big as this. This th- the three of them climbing up onto that seat thing that it's in looks so small. The
3: weird thing about going from Prometheus to Alien Covenant is how prominent the architect characters are and like what they're building around, how important they seem to be. And Alien Covenant is just like
2: they're wiped <laughs> out immediately in between. Yeah, yeah, I know. Alien Covenant really felt like an over-correction to th- some of the complaints about right. Prometheus, and then they went way too far in the other direction. But whatever. We're doing. We're talking about Alien. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> one day we probably could have done a Prometheus episode, but yeah. I think that's out the window now. Well, we'll see.
3: I mean, you know, <laughs> give it another 150 episodes or something. People will have forgotten about this yeah, one. Yeah, we'll
2: eventually have to circle back. So while the three of them are on this spaceship... They're out of communication with the crew, their crew, and Ripley eventually deciphers the transmission, and it turns out to be more of a warning than a distress signal, but she's unable to communicate that to them because they are in the other ship. Then, it seems like Dallas and Lambert are kind of like, well, all right, right, we're good this here. guy's dead. Yeah. Something burst out of it. Right. I don't really it want to be anymore. It seems like it anymore. exploded from the inside yeah. because the bones are facing out. So it's like, um, all right, well, there doesn't seem to be anyone else alive. But meanwhile, Kane is like running around. I'm gonna he check finds out that all hole these... in the floor. Yeah,
3: right. I don't think I would jump down there.
2: No. I mean, it, it seems poorly thought out by yeah. these guys to just be like, well, let's hop down there and take a look. So it's this cave area underneath the main room they were in. I think it's still supposed to be part of the ship. I think Man. for originally probably the first time I saw this movie, I thought this was like underneath the ship, but right. I think it's still part of the ship. Yeah, I think so. And it's this giant cave room, and it's way warmer down there, and there's that weird mist. Right now, do you think that the mist is what like keeps them? Is, is that well, supposed to be designed to keep the aliens down in it somehow? I don't know.
3: I just thought it was some sort of like it comes from like the spores of these weird things, you know, these weird hump things that are slimy and alive.
2: Yeah, that's possible. I think the thing that made me think that, though, was that it seems to make that high pitch noise when he breaks the surface of it. It could be. I mean, so I was wondering if this was something that those architect guys, the space jockey people, they used as like insulation to keep those things from hatching out. Anything is possible. I don't know. Yeah. Kane's walking around looking at these things. As soon as he says to Dallas and Lambert over like the radio, like, hey, there's all these weird leathery egg things, I'd be like, all right, get out. Let's go. Yep. Time to go. And for some reason, he's exploring, and this clumsy idiot just falls off the walkway yeah. that he's on down next to the eggs. A lot of bad decisions here, and uh, frankly... Once we get the big reveal about what the company wanted and you know, what Ash's place and all of this is, it seems like a lot of jumping to conclusions that certain things are definitely going to happen. Right. One of the things <laughs> They're that... like, Well, trust us, Kane's an idiot. He'll yeah, end up with right. one of those things on his face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't worry I about it.
3: <laughs> yeah, they were taking like a big leap that people were gonna actually discover this thing and bring it back. Yeah. I was thinking when I was watching this. Just based on the way some of the characters act at certain points, are we living in a universe within the context of this movie that people know that there is some sort of alien existence? Certainly not like the alien that they encounter in this movie, but like I just feel like people are kind of underselling things a lot. Like, I was thinking about like that. They They're that shocked by some of the things.
2: I was thinking about that, too. I kind of like that about the movie, though. Yeah. Because it implies... Things have drastically changed right. by the time we get to twenty one, twenty two. I think so, too. Yeah. People are aware of life outside of Earth and though they may not be familiar with every th- single thing. Yeah. And, and they're all still of stuff might scared be new, of it,
3: but they're not that shocked that it's out there.
2: Yeah. And clearly some people would have had to have known the company knew because oh, yeah. this is what they wanted for sure. Kane gets close to one of the eggs. It opens up. He still doesn't seem scared enough of it. I mean, as soon as it opened up, I'd be like Run. running out of <laughs> yeah. there. I'd be like, "Holy fuck!" And we get the famous face hugger scene where it jumps out, goes through his helmet, and attaches itself to its face.
3: Well, do we see it go through the helmet right there? I was thinking. That no, it would...
2: cuts away. Yeah, right. But that's what happens. Yeah,
3: yeah. Well, that's the thing, though. When you see it, I'm like, "Oh, okay, he'll be all right because uh, you know his the glass there is protecting him." And then the next thing you know, it's gone right through it.
2: Yeah, it seems really hard to believe that that thing could get on there so airtight that he wouldn't be affected by a breach in his spacesuit. That's true. Like, it's somehow... I
3: guess it's that lightning quick, too, that it can just, like, shove that thing down his throat and start pumping oxygen to him. Right. But wouldn't, like, his eyeballs
2: suck out or something? It's very strange, though, because...
3: Although, don't they really push that narrative in Prometheus that the atmosphere... On this planet is very similar to Earth or something. Yeah, but that's
2: a different place. Oh, that's true. This is just some random moon that they never... This is not even the same place they go to in Prometheus or Covenant. It's Wait, like a...
3: how does that ship get from the planet in Prometheus to
2: the moon? What ship? Aren't they on this same ship? No, I think they, this is just what their ships look like. I don't think there's just one ship. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying because it looks the same, but I don't think it's supposed to be the same ship. All in right, the, into the two movies, I think that's just what their ships look like. Okay, because then they crash one of them. Yes, on Prometheus, but then they take that other little thing.
3: Like, All right, maybe one day when we watch Prometheus, we'll be able to <laughs> speak <laughs> yeah, I, to it with more. Clarity. I get what
2: you're saying, and you're you're trying to connect them both like very directly. I don't think there's that much connection between the two things. Okay, other than. This particular ship crash-landed on this moon, I'm assuming, when the thing burst out of that guy's stomach. Yeah. But I don't think, like, the rest of the architects or anything are on this particular moon. Right, okay. This is just, like, a ship that's there. He was, like, transporting those things... I'm gonna make up a backstory. So the right architects
3: now. have been kind of secretly at war with these xenomorph things. Well, that the, they're but they created them and they're using true. them. Yeah.
2: But yeah, they occasionally can't handle it. It's kind of like nuclear power. It's really right. a parable for nuclear <laughs> power. Yeah. <laughs> like we've created something that we can't control. Right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna create this backstory that this guy Please. was transporting these, but he got one inside of him somewhere along the way, and he burst out of him, causing him to crash land on okay. this moon. That's where they get this signal, and the Wayland Corporation intercepts it and then sends Nostromo out, and here okay. we are. Okay, so
3: this moon probably does not have a similar atmosphere to Earth, then?
2: No, because they do that scene where Ash breaks it down. True. And it's very primordial. It's got a lot of nitrogen and all that shit, and it, I don't, it's not breathable.
3: Okay, so I'm not buying it that Kane could have survived this, then. Kane or the alien.
2: It's like, well, how how is the alien pumping oxygen? Where's it getting the oxygen from when they take it from one ship to the other? It's a good
3: point. This movie stinks.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's got holes in it. It's no longer one of your favorites. (laughs) So they get back to the shuttle, and Ripley, who's now the senior officer on board, refuses to let them on. And it's this big standoff where they're screaming at her to let let them on so that they can help Kane, who's probably going to die. Ripley...
3: I mean, doing her job, the yeah. you know, the consummate professional just being like, nope, this is against
2: protocol. And yet, Ash, of course, lets Kane's them on. Kane's going to
3: die, though. Fuck
2: him. You can't. Quarantine protocol. Ash lets them on. Again, Ash pushing this in one direction the whole right. time. Sometimes very subtly, sometimes not so subtle, like now, deciding that he <laughs> has the opening authority. opening the door, yeah. There's a deleted scene that I was telling you about. Did you watch the director's cut or the original? I
3: watched the theatrical. Yeah, I so wasn't did I. sure which one we were doing for this. Yeah, podcast. I, went, I went
2: with the theatrical. In the director's cut there's a scene where Lambert just like gets a running start towards Ripley and just slaps her so fucking hard. Oh wow. And I wish I would watch it. I remember the watching cut, it then. with a couple of friends. It, we were laughing so hard at that scene and rewinding <laughs> it cuz it's so crazy how hard she hits her. It's just like what the fuck. And it's funny that it's not in the regular version. That's like how in Aliens, director's cut, there's the whole thing where Ripley had a daughter and now her daughter's old. It's very uh, interstellar. I know that is weird, yeah. But it's not in the regular version, the right. theatrical. But there's the longer version where there's this whole story. I think the
3: thing that always kind of like starts me off on the wrong foot with Aliens is Paul Reiser being in it. It's always kind of like... Hot take. yeah. <laughs> not not expecting that to be the direction. And then he's like kind of the main villain
2: in a way, yeah. yeah.
3: Not the aliens somehow.
2: So they bring Kane on board, they cut the helmet off of him. They're trying to remove this facehugger thing and they find out that it has acidic blood that I, yeah. is literally say, burning through the ship as t- it falls. Like
3: before we even have the alien in its true form, it is pretty terrifying. It's pretty horrifying this thing attaching to your face. It's yeah. like got a tentacle wrapped around your neck that tightens when people like touch it. Yeah. Oof.
2: When they cut that helmet off and you see the thing on his face, it's pretty gross. Right. Could kill him.
1: I'm willing to take that chance. Just cut it off and then. You take responsibility? Yes, yes, I'll yes, take yes, yes, responsibility now. Get him out of here. Where do you want to do this? Make making a decision just
0: below the knuckle there. Okay, mm-hmm. stand by God. That crap's gonna eat through the hole. That thing's gonna eat through the goddamn hole, come on! Next deck. We'll get in here on your arm. Stopped. I not seen anything like that except uh, molecular acid. You must be using it yeah, for blood. It's got a wonderful defense mechanism. You don't dare kill it.
2: It's kind of got an Wouldn't underbelly, like... like one of those horseshoe crab things. Yeah. But it's got those... Fingers like a spider or something. At this something. point,
3: if I'm the crew, it's like, okay, yeah, try and cut the thing off. And then the acid blood comes out of it. I just be like, all right, let's throw Kane <laughs> off the ship. Throw
2: Kane in the trash. Yeah. <laughs> get rid of him. Right.
3: Let's put him in one of those wood chipper things from the end of Fargo.
2: Yeah, these things have the perfect defense mechanism. And you can see the first evolutionary characteristic that they've developed, which is this acidic blood. You wonder why these xenomorph things have evolved into these perfect killing machine things. Yeah. Especially since it they is turn out to be them. like a creation of the architect guys. I don't really know if they... That's never really explained if they're like a straight up creation or I don't know. One
3: that evolved from what they actually created.
2: It's such a weird story, the whole thing. Yeah, that's true. Like when you get into the whole backstory of Prometheus and Covenant and where this all leads right. and you're like, what what are we saying here? <laughs> eventually the thing removes itself on its own while no one is around they can't really find it and there's this very tense scene of dallas ripley and ash looking for the thing and eventually once it's found it appears to be dead yeah and so they don't really understand that part is kind of creepy though it
3: like drops from the ceiling from behind ripley
2: yeah, between that sequence of trying to find the thing, and then when it first jumps onto Kane's face, you're like, "Oh, this is definitely like a scary oh, yeah. horror movie." Not that science fiction movies can't ever be scary, but there's a lot it's of a lot lot slow of emphasis builds on and it. then
3: like jump scares.
2: Yeah, this movie—we're w- going to get to the, my whole thoughts on jump scares in general later in the movie, but this movie perfects those kind of scares in a way that you never really see anymore. Even
3: I think there's like kind of a subtle good one. Here, when the the face hugger thing is now done whatever it's done, it's like laying on the ground, it has that weird reflex. Yeah. And you think it's still alive. It's yeah. just kind of like a quick one, but I think it's good.
2: Shortly after this scene, Dallas reveals to Ripley that Ash was a replacement science officer assigned two days before they left. Hmm. Suspicious. Because Ripley is the only one on board that seems fully suspicious of Ash, which yeah. I guess she developed when he opened the the door to let them on. (laughs) Right. Either suspicious or it was just like, I don't like Ash. He didn't listen to me. Finally, they're able to leave LV-426. Kane wakes up. Right. And he's wearing that, like, singlet. I do think that this is
3: sort of a well-executed plot point because it feels like there's no coming back for Kane when we've last seen him. Yeah. Like, they're talking about him like this thing paralyzes him, puts him in a coma, and then is, like, feeding oxygen into him or whatever. But it's just like... It doesn't feel like we're going to see Kane up and walking around again, and then he just is.
2: Yeah, unexplained. They don't know what's going on.
3: Everyone's kind of like, hey, let's go eat dinner, you know, but there's definitely still a little nervousness in the air.
2: The only one that obviously knows what's happening right now is Ash. Everyone else is just rolling with it. Although you would think if they have this whole quarantine protocol and Ripley was very concerned about it, there would probably be more of a push to examine Kane now that he's awake? Sure. Yeah. Not really a lot of well, advanced is the medical tools officer, so Yeah.
3: I mean, he's like he's fine.
2: <laughs> so they wanna have one more meal before returning to their sleep stasis things, their pods. The Last for, Supper. Yeah. As it's known in the chapter Chapter titles. Right? Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's such a crazy scene.
3: I mean, this is really the iconic scene from the movie, right? Yeah, there's
2: nothing like it. Yeah, And it had to be just completely shocking and terrifying to people at the time. And while it all is taking place, like, so Kane is eating. He's joking around with Parker, talking about the food being terrible. Then all of a sudden, he's just, like, coughing and convulsing and having this difficult time
3: people don't know what the fuck's going on they're like is he having a seizure yeah Here, try trying to put this knife in his mouth or whatever <laughs> like, you see I
2: uh ash's face is just like stoic and knowing and all these hints along the way that i think when you're first watching the movie you're probably not picking up on because yeah. why would you you don't you're scared yourself you're trying to figure out what the fuck's happening
0: so the first thing that I'm going to do when I get back oh God, is to so get some decent food. You can dig it, man. I'll tell you, I'm eating bird's food. In this, but, oh, then I'll yeah. taste it better, you don't know what I'm you saying? Know
1: you pound down the stuff
0: like this, right? Uh huh. I'd rather be eating something else, but uh, right now I'm digging food. Uh, well, you just know you know what it's made of. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. I don't want to talk about what it's made of. I'm eating this. <laughs> What's the matter? <laughs> Food ain't that bad, baby. Okay. <laughs> you chill Come
1: for Charles. <laughs> what? Oh, what? Oh, hey. hey, what's going <laughs> on? on. the oh, 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 oh. oh, oh. oh, oh, Get the phone! Get the Get the phone! Get the Get Get I am going to I'm I'm Oh, God! <laughs> oh,
0: no! Don't touch, it. Don't touch it! Don't touch
1: it!
2: Now, the way they did this chest-bursting scene is awesome because the cast didn't know exactly what was? oh wow happen. that is cool. they had no idea of what they knew the premise of the scene but they didn't know what was about to happen or, or what it was going to look like or anything and the reactions are very real yeah and veronica cartwright who plays lambert passed out as soon as they were done filming oh wow it. <laughs> i mean it is well she got the, like that real yeah. burst of blood like right on her face
3: i feel like Before you see the alien actually pop out, the first burst is actually worse because it's just blood, and you're like, what the fuck?
2: Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Before I ever saw this scene or Alien, the movie, I saw Spaceballs Spaceballs in the parody, which, of course, scared the shit out of me, even though it's like a fake thing. It's a joke in the movie.
3: (laughs) Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey.
2: (laughs) It's interesting because Spaceballs came out, I believe, I would assume, prior to When Harry Met Sally, yet okay. it also seems yeah. like a parody of that scene in okay, a weird way. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. The orgasm at the diner scene where yeah. I'll have what she's having. Right. It seems like almost a parody of that scene, even though it has to predate that scene. I guess so. Do you know what I'm saying?
3: Yeah. I No, I do know what you're saying. Because like, well, what did that person have? But, like, <laughs> you know, I watched Spaceballs a lot as a kid. I didn't really have any context of When Harry Met Sally. Now that you say that, that makes sense to me that you would make that connection.
2: But, so I was familiar with the space ball scene before Alien, but this is like that abortion machine thing in right. Prometheus, where you just have these huge moments. Now, this is way more iconic. People are way more invested in Alien than they are Prometheus, but just this idea of if you can come up with these huge, shocking moments and then connect them with a well-told story, I mean, you're there then. And these are the things that people remember and they stick in their minds, and The scene is so well directed and executed. And the fact that the alien looks kind of weird and is not great. The way that it speeds off across the table seems really fake looking. Yeah, it's like doesn't matter though. Right.
3: No, I know it doesn't. Especially
2: in 79. It still doesn't matter now.
3: Like the body horror of his stomach exploding is enough to like kind of take you back. And then you just see this little creature. you're like it's more like the idea that a creature just came out of his body. Yes. It kind of doesn't matter what it looks like in the fact that it just scurries off. And
2: it all makes sense yeah. because of what the thing being attached to his face. And you're almost mad at yourself for not getting it, realizing right. that this is where it was headed. Because the whole thing with the face hugger itself was so scary. And you thought that that was maybe it. the scare. We're done. But you should have done better, obviously. That's right. So the alien, after it bursts out of his chest, just runs away, basically. It's interesting because Looks
3: around the room, it's like, mm, this seems like a bad situation for me at this point. It and Ash prevents
2: Parker from like attacking. it. he's like, don't yeah. touch it. Don't touch it. Even though he knows very well what it is <laughs> and where it's headed. Imagine if like when humans gave birth to a baby, the baby was the fastest it will ever be. Wow. Yeah five seconds after emerging (laughs) because when the alien's full size it doesn't like run across the room taking
3: it towards like imagine a human giving birth and people are like what the fuck is that thing (laughs) coming out of it
2: (laughs) yeah it's like the baby from Eraserhead (laughs) somebody's just like don't touch it don't touch it (laughs) so after shooting Kane's body into space the rest of the crew attempts to locate their unwanted guests with tracking devices they have no idea what they're dealing with they split up into groups. They track this thing. It turns out to be a, the cat Jones. So Brett and this fucking cat. So Brett, they're like, Brett, go get the cat because you let it go. Yeah, we're just gonna retrack it. These people on this shit, oh, they are always determined to Fuck split it up. up and separate. Yeah. Right. Brett eventually encounters the alien, which is now like almost full size, I guess. It's and by the way, so huge and unexpected to see that it's this big thing now. It's
3: kind of like a long sequence leading up to this. Though. Like yeah, him walking around the ship putting his head up in the
2: dripping water. Yeah, let's talk about the ship and some of its rooms. Yeah. Very strange. I would say so. What is this water that I he feels know. comfortable with putting in his head I was like mouth? is this
3: how they shower here?
2: There's a lot of like weird BDSM chain rooms. Oh, right, You're like, what's yeah. going on on this ship? There's just weird chains hanging from the ceiling. I know. It doesn't seem like a spaceship at a certain point.
3: <laughs> we have like insanely high ceilings.
2: Yeah, visually it seemed replicated a little bit in Alien 3, but I just don't understand what the layout of this ship is, what these random rooms are, what this water is that he just feels okay drinking. It is bizarre. So he's walking around trying to find this friggin' cat. And then, yeah, and we get I just this feel huge like, how, alien. how
3: many shares am I going to get for having to find this cat?
2: <laughs> the goddamn shares. That's right. So let's talk about H.R. Geiger or Geiger. And this xenomorph design, they never call it a xenomorph until the next movie.
3: The best-looking evil alien that there's ever been. For sure. Like, evil monster creature. Whatever you want to, all categories, this is by far the best-looking one in my mind.
2: Yeah. H.R. Giger did the alien designs for Species as well, but these are... Natasha Henstridge. He he designed her. (laughs) (laughs) When you compare the look of this creature to the things that had come before it... As far as the evil monsters or or aliens or any kind of horrific-looking thing, it just seems so far advanced. I
3: mean, it's shocking how
2: good it looks for the year that this came out. There's a lot of intelligence involved, though. Like, let's light it in a certain way where you're not going to see things that look bad. It works. Quick shots, shots from certain angles. Yeah, Yeah, it's a lot of, like, just the head. And it's very much like Jaws in that once you get to the end of Jaws and the shark looks so fake, it doesn't matter because you're so in by that point. And there are definitely scenes in this where the alien does not look great.
3: Well, we'll get to the craziest part with this thing.
2: (laughs) When it gets blasted out of the ship.
3: Well, I'm thinking more when it's just casually laying in that little (laughs) crevice. Well, yeah, yeah.
2: I was talking about just the look of it. Yeah, yeah. But like... By the end of the movie, there's some scenes where it doesn't look great. But, again, you're so in because of all the shit that's led up to it. And you, as a filmmaker, I think you buy the goodwill of the audience by giving them all this great shit. And so then the audience is going to forgive things that don't look as great. Right. Whereas if you just immediately are lighting it wrong and showing all of the zippers, (laughs) you know. Yeah. If you do everything bad at the beginning, then you've bought nothing and the audience will shit all over it. Yep. And never be scared. I
3: think you're sort of also expecting here like the first time that this thing's just going to like bite his head off. But instead, what you find to be kind of the main weapon for the alien, this whole other fucking rod comes out of its mouth, and yeah. it kills similarly to the guy from No Country for Old Men <laughs> with that <laughs> cattle prod thing. That's a good point.
2: After the death of Brett, they realize that the alien is using the air ducts to get around the ship. And this really plays up the whole like haunted house vibe of the movie. They the don't know where it building. is. The suspense building. Of course, they've these...
3: got this tracker box thing that sometimes works.
2: Yeah, they're using a very primitive tracking device that seems primitive for 1979, let alone twenty one twenty six Everyone just shows
3: 22. up as a dot on this thing. Yeah.
2: And so Dallas goes into the air ducts. He's going to track this thing. He's got like a flamethrower. He's looking for it. They're communicating with him over the radio to try to find it. It's one of the great suspense-building scenes, and this is what we're going to talk about as far as jump scares, because this leads to like oh, a crazy yeah. jump scare where the alien finally gets I Dallas. think I jumped in the theater for this. In modern horror today, jump scares are used very liberally. Oh, yeah. It's an easy way to get a scare. It's just the easiest thing to do because you can use the escalating score and And, a loud sound.
3: There's a lot of horror movies that are just built solely on this now. Yeah,
2: you just use a loud sound and then you jump cut to something and people will jump naturally. And people associate that as being a good scare. Whereas there's no real suspense building, no dread building. Ridley Scott uses a jump scare here when Dallas finally gets attacked by this alien. Yeah. It's just a flash of seeing the alien. It doesn't even look that great because it's got its hands reached out in a weird way, and you're like, okay. But it doesn't matter because there's this effective, this long build building of it where it's escalating and he's talking to Cartwright, and she's like, it's right there. And you can hear like the panic in
3: his voice
2: as he's like starting
3: to kind of enters this is like very stoic it's like shut the doors behind me but yeah. as it's like going on and becoming like more of a disaster he's just like frantically shooting the flamethrower just trying to light the way to see if he can see anything
2: and i don't understand this stupid tracking device oh, you can't tell from what direction yeah.
3: it's coming I know. from
2: so stupid but it doesn't matter because the panic on all of the characters voices and it finally gets to this moment where the alien jumps out from the least expected it's so great now It's interesting to point out here that there was a deleted sequence. I don't think they ever filmed it, but it's from the script, and it was storyboarded, I think, something like that. There was this cocooning scene idea where he doesn't actually kill Dallas or Brett, I think, and they're wrapped up in that cocoon stuff that really gets established in the next film, Aliens. Okay, yeah. Because I think people were kind of confused. It's like, what is it doing? Is it eating the people? Is it just killing them? Right. Aliens confirms that it doesn't just eat the people or whatever. It saves them for future facehuggers to propagate the species. Yeah, but you have to keep them alive for that, right? Yeah, Dallas was going to still be alive in the cocoon thing. They decided to get rid of that for this movie. It didn't ever happen. I think it's fine. It's cool that they later can build upon that. So now, with Kane and Dallas dead, Ripley is the surviving senior officer. And she now has access to Mother for the first time. And she finds out about Special Order 937. She jumps through some hoops to get to what this is. But basically, Nostromo rerouted to new coordinates, investigate life form, gather specimen, priority one, ensure return of organism for analysis, all other considerations secondary, crew expendable. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a sucker punch to the gut. Right. (laughs) She's like, what the fuck? (laughs) So here's a quote that I pulled off of some fandom website or something, trying to get the full story about this because it always confused me a little bit as to what exactly was going on with this company, which we don't even find out the name of it. I don't think maybe they casually mention it, but it, it's more established in the later films and really front and center in Prometheus. Wayland Yutani is yeah, there. yeah. So Except I was mentioned like mentioned well, in this movie. They say the name. Yeah. Okay. So I was confused as to. Did they know about this the whole time? Or was it once they were out there and they saw this signal? It seems like, according to this thing that I was reading, it says, when Weyland-Yutani detected and partially decoded an unidentified warning signal emanating from LV-426, the Nostrama was selected, unbeknownst to its crew, to investigate and hopefully recover a potential xenomorph specimen from the moon. Interesting.
3: Now, why wouldn't they just actually hire a crew with that goal in mind? <laughs> I know. That's the one... Thing that I don't I I it's like It uh, works for the movie, but for Wayland a company, I don't understand that business decision.
2: Yeah, like couldn't you find people that would be willing to you would think. try to do this? And it becomes more clear once you put the pieces together about Ash and Ash's whole purpose and existence. Like clearly he knew about this the whole time. Oh yeah. But it's a little hard to necessarily connect all the dots upon the first time seeing the movie for sure. So Ripley freaking out, confronts Ash. He's got that Milk sweat going after oh, yeah, she like right. pushes him the first which time, which is odd. I will say he cracks
3: kind of easily. She doesn't really hit him that hard.
2: Yeah, and he goes into like kill mode pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Also, Ash tries to kill Ripley with In just the most this bizarre odd method.
3: Yeah, <laughs> think of the same thing. I'm just like, okay, he's a droid. You kind of expect him to have a little bit superhuman strength. Yeah, ch- he
2: definitely does because he does that thing where he squeezes Parker's chest and yeah. Parker's like freaking out. Right.
3: Uh, yeah. Again, another like strange move, though. Instead yeah. of like choking him, he like grabs his chest. But he takes a magazine and rolls it up in a way that like people would to like swat a fly. Yeah. And is like, I'm going to try to shove this down her throat.
2: <laughs> so she's rescued when Parker and Lambert intervene.
3: And they all just start like. <laughs> trying to like wrestle him or whatever and he starts hitting him with i don't know what the fire extinguisher okay. looks G- like yeah
2: eventually he just knocks his head off and it's revealed that ash is an android and has been the whole time obviously it's like, oh that explains the white yeah liquid like that was coming from him a white liquid it looks like just odd tubes and yeah, balls yeah. it's like <laughs> it doesn't really look even like a, a traditional robot it's just a bunch of weird shit in there
3: and for as great as the special effects are in this movie one of the things that I guess they never were able to cut together exactly right or fix in later edits or anything is this whole cut from when it's the fake Ian Holm
2: to... See, whatever. I'm going to 100% disagree. I really? think it looks really good for oh, this wow. time Oh, wow. Okay. You have to put yourself choppy, into the mind, mindset of, like, the audience in 1979 just saw this robot get its head knocked off. Yeah. And then the head is just, like, on the ground, and yes... Clearly, there's a fake rubber head in one thing, and then it switches to his real I head. I think the
3: rubber head looks good. Where I think, I just think there's, it's really choppy, like the cutting between yeah, the two. Yeah, maybe.
2: I think for everything being practical effects, in-camera effects, no, well, not yeah. being able to rely on anything else, I think they managed to do like a pretty convincing job. It certainly
3: job. didn't take me out of it. I mean, I wasn't <laughs> like, wow, this ruined the movie. They True.
2: reactivate Ash's head, and they learn his purpose. He refers to this alien as a perfect organism. (laughs) You're like, wait, are we seeing the same thing? Weird part is how he, like, taunts them, basically. He's like, yeah, you have no chance. He's, like, laughing at them. Well, this is
3: always one of those ideas that keeps getting perpetuated in science fiction movies, which is, like, these droids or artificial intelligence things having feelings and strange vendettas against humans.
2: Yeah all of the robots except (laughs) for the guy in aliens right bishop bishop seemed to have a negative yeah personality i can't really remember three and four to be honest but i know david and prometheus and covenant is always strange
3: yeah and kind of cynical towards humans ash can you
1: hear me
0: Yes, I can hear. You.
1: What was your special
0: order? You read it. I thought it was clear. What was it? Bring back life form. Priority one. All other priorities rescinded. a damn company. What about our lives, you son of a bitch? I repeat, all of the priorities are ascended.
1: How do we kill it, Ash? There's got to be a way of killing it. How, how do we do it?
0: You can't. That's bullshit. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. Its structural perfection is matched only by its hostility.
1: You admire it.
0: I admire its purity. A survivor. Unclodded by conscience, remorse, or delusions of morality. Look, I'm, I've heard enough of this, and I'm asking you to pull the plug. Last room. What? I can't lie to you about your chances, but you have my sympathies.
2: So Parker incinerates Ash's head and body, and that's the end Good of Ash. Good riddance. Ash.
3: It's like, thanks, Ash, for really kind of pushing us to... Get this thing on board, ruining all of our lives.
2: So now there's three of them, and they can all fit on the escape shuttle. So they're like, "All right, let's go." Before
3: you know, when there was four, they have this whole discussion of like, "Well, we can't do it. There's four of us. You know, let's draw straws. We can't draw straws." I would just be like, "Let's leave Ash. This is his fault." Yeah. Ash, you have to stay. The rest of us are getting in
2: the shuttle. (laughs) They're gonna take this escape shuttle and self destruct the ship. But we need, for some reason, to split up again. Yeah, let's split up one more time. <laughs> as soon as that happens, you're Our like, well... patented move. Parker and Lambert never stood a chance. This movie is super progressive, though, just beyond even having Sigourney Weaver as the ultimate hero. It's like, there's three survivors left, two women and an African-American Sure, guy. yeah. A lot of... Uh, I think so. ...ground being established in this that doesn't really get credit for. I don't think so. This whole sequence with this goddamn cat, Jones, I just... The cat's so important to
3: everyone in this crew. It's like, who gives a shit? We about need this to get Jones. Cat? Yeah.
2: <laughs> Ripley initiates a self-destruct sequence after Parker and Lambert get killed by the alien. Lambert just really stinks. Just yeah. unable to help. is just say- screaming, get out of the way, and she just won't even I, move. I
3: will say, the worst tag team ever. These two don't help each other at all. Yeah. They have different parts of this sequence where one could help the other, and it's just not happening. I know Parker's trying more than Lambert. Lambert is a zero effort <laughs> once the attention gets diverted to Parker.
2: She just can't even move. Right. Initially, Ripley's path to the escape shuttle is blocked by the alien, so she tries to abort the self destruct after she starts it, but she's unable to. It's too late. So the ship's gonna blow up in like five minutes. She ends up barely making it off of the Nostromo in time, which yep. is pretty intense. Countdown, we I know so. the thing's gonna explode. She just gets out of range somehow. Once on this escape shuttle, she starts preparing for stasis. She has the cat. She takes her clothes off and she's wearing like an undershirt and like underwear.
3: This is what I was thinking. Yeah, I mean, does the Wayland organization just ensure that like all women get underwear that's like two sizes too small?
2: <laughs> well, I was thinking they're getting ready to shoot this. Ridley Scott or the one of the producers or whoever is like, all right sigourney for this scene you're gonna be in your undershirt no bra and yeah. underpants underwear and she's like oh okay no problem and then they hand her panties that are like three sizes too yeah, small right. <laughs> and she's just like these are for a child right no. <laughs> what is going on with these underwear they these... don't even look remotely comfortable she's like i don't understand why i'd be wearing these in ridley scott's
3: just like well it's the future you know fashion has <laughs> changed Jesus. I will say she looks dynamite in this little outfit, though. All right. I think. Okay. You know, you're getting a little look. Still a lot left to the imagination, but I'm in.
2: Eventually, it's revealed, of course, that the alien itself is still on board. It's, yeah. I, I mean, this seems on the insane.
3: Ship. Not just on the ship. It's, like, tucked itself away. into. Yeah, it's
2: wedged itself in this little area. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to what it's doing and why Taking it's doing a nap. this. And why... It doesn't just immediately attack and kill Ripley.
3: Well, it doesn't seem like it can get in and out of there very quickly. Well,
2: the best speculation is that either it was going into a cocoon-like mode, which you see in Aliens when they're all up in that cocoon thing, you know, in the big opening attack, or it had just killed Parker and Lambert and potentially ate them and was resting, yeah. (laughs) Or After it was eating like a Frank's pizza, <laughs> or it was preparing to shed once again to increase even further in size. Possibly, there's a lot of different possibilities that never are explained, and so this final sequence on the escape shuttle always feels very weird to me. Completely incidental
3: that the alien just went on the shuttle. Nothing predetermined of like I'm going to hide in here for the other human that's on board. It's just, I'm by the shuttle, and I see a crevice in here, so I'm going to go lay in it. Yeah, I you guess. Know? Okay.
2: Who knows? Who's to so, say? What would you rather have happened It not be on there and the movie be over? It blows up in the Without a final ship. confrontation? <laughs> I'm
3: good with that, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I think if there was never a big final confrontation with Ripley, yeah, so it would have felt very anticlimactic. She shoves
3: the uh, fire extinguisher in its mouth and says, smile, you son of a bitch, and then it blows up. <laughs>
2: They're going to say shoves the fire extinguisher up its ass. (laughs) Yeah, well, you got to get creative. So who knows exactly what is happening on board here. It doesn't ruin the movie for me, but it always leaves me at the end questioning why it's not doing anything. It's just sitting there, basically. Yeah. So Ripley runs away from it, screams, puts on a spacesuit. She's able to flush it out of its little crevice with this gas stuff. Then, as it finally goes to attack her, she opens the airlock door so it'll blow out of the thing. (laughs) Yeah, which somewhat works. Yeah, it somehow manages to hold on, which seems impossible. Right. Although not as impossible as when Ripley holds on in Aliens. Yes, yes. When that whole giant thing opens. (laughs) Oh, God, that ending is so bizarre. (laughs) Right. This is pretty much what they do in all of the original four, except for three, when she... Has the alien inside her and kills just herself? Jumps into, the, into fire. the fire. Yeah, but all of the other three, it involves having it sucked out into space. That's true. As it's holding on, Ripley shoots it with a grappling hook, which knocks it outside. But it tethers it now to the ship. It's kind of being dragged along the ship. This is where Can't the sit alien down with looks tree barrels in him—the worst, right? Because it clearly is a guy in a suit bouncing around outside the yeah, ship. <laughs> it looks terrible, but again. Similarly to Jaws, by this point, they've built up so good. much goodwill that yeah. you just kind of go with it.
3: And I guess it's going to try to get back into the ship by going through the well, exhaust
2: I mean, at that point, jets. I don't think it really knows what to do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just goes into one of the exhaust things. She turns it on, blasts it, kills it. For whatever reason, I guess she's still duty-bound. She makes a final log entry for the yeah. nostromo And then she goes into stasis. It's like her and the cat. And she'll basically float around for the next fifty seven years. Right. <laughs> until they finally find her. Yeah. <laughs>
3: so quite a ride.
2: Yeah. This movie is the only entry out of all of them, except for maybe Covenant that feels like a horror movie. Sure, yeah. Prometheus has horror elements but feels very grounded in sci fi. I
3: mean, Covenant to me seemed like it was a hundred percent about the
2: David character. Yeah, he's very much the main character. You don't even... Re- like, the main girl is Catherine Watterson. You don't even, like, remember that she's in it. Right. <laughs> Danny McBride is in it. At oh, one yeah. One. James Franco is in the opening sequence, but not in the movie, really. Yeah, yeah. He gets killed, like, before they even get to the planet. It's <laughs> so weird. Yeah, it was such a disappointment because I was in that small... Group of people that was really giving it the benefit of the doubt, standing up for Prometheus. Oh, like, okay. Was all in on Prometheus and was really Prometheus looking forward to a sequel. Got like good reviews at the time that it came out, though. Pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Some people didn't like it immediately. Like I said, it's a very polarizing film. Which I think is good, because people have passionate opinions about it, whereas you don't even hear an opinion about Covenant. It's right. It's just like, it sucks, the end. There's no discussion.
3: They do throw a lot into Prometheus, because it's like, Waylon the character is in it. Yeah. And then, like, Charlize Theron is in it as, like, Waylon's daughter or something.
2: Kind of. And yeah. you're like, is she a robot, though? Right. Yeah, there's a lot of weird they shit in there. They throw a lot at you. Well, Lindelof wrote the script, sure. so yeah, he threw so in a like... bunch of stuff that didn't pay off. Right. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> in
3: typical fashion.
2: Yeah, and connecting all of these different things there's to... There's like a polar bear on that planet. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: it's Smoke Monster. Yeah. Yeah, connecting all of the creatures in Prometheus to all the different creatures in Covenant doesn't make sense either, because Covenant introduces this whole thing of like spores from a plant. Right. I know. It's weird. Yeah, there's a I lot almost, there. Feel like I need to rewatch Covenant because I've only seen it once, and so I don't really remember a lot of it. But yeah, I was just I so unimpressed in it. The rewatch, it'd be hard because I have such a no <laughs> opinion of it. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm at a point in my life where I don't really see myself rewatching three or four or probably Covenant again. It
3: feels unlikely for me as well.
2: I watched Aliens shortly after that screening we went to. Oh, wow. It's been a while for me for that, too. I enjoy it. As we pointed out, the difference in tone from the first one and yeah. style is noticeable, and it I, like seem... you, prefer the first, but the second yeah. is its own thing in sure, a lot sure. of ways.
3: It does seem unbelievable that anyone would live in Aliens because there's just so many of them.
2: Yeah, it, it lessens the impact, but it's reasonable, though, if you're more prepared that since they have all those guns and True. grenades and shit, full on, that know, this thing is not indestructible, crew. right? so they are more prepared to fight it, whereas in the first one, they have no weapons really, and they don't really know what they're even dealing with. True. But, you know, whatever. It is what it is. I'll always see a new Alien movie, even if it continues to be terrible, because sure. it's fun. You enjoy and, the lore of it. Yeah, and it does seem like part of the challenge with making the new ones is to try to come up with new variations of these things, even that though that infuriates people, right. I think because they're like, well, this doesn't make sense. Yeah, but they're trying to come up with weird new shit to like throw in to separate it. And that's what I think Prometheus did better than any of the other sequels was introduce new shit. Now, most people would probably say the queen in yeah. aliens is better, but Prometheus just has so much weird, different stuff that you will, Really don't even think of it as an alien movie until the very end.
3: When did the idea come about that Alien and Predator were, like, connected?
2: Alien versus Predator is the idea when they were connected.
3: I know, but it seems like ever since the two movies came out, there's been, like, I don't know. I just feel like I always remember growing up long before Alien versus Predator was a thing.
2: Well, Predator 2 on the ship at the end... Okay. In the trophy room, there's like a skull that looks like
3: the yeah yeah okay
2: the skull of the alien. Just kind of like an Easter egg or something. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just because they were eventually owned by the same company that they had free reign to do that. Now we've never really talked much about the Predator series, but while we were
3: talking about it, it made me think about that new Predator. (laughs) The Predator. Yeah. Yeah. Oof.
2: Ooh boy. Yeah, Predator is much more of a one-movie franchise for right. me, because even Predator 2 kind of sucks.
3: Yeah, there's some fun, interesting stuff in it. I, I like that it's in
2: the city. <laughs> it's just Yeah, a it's way vibe, too but... long, and you kind of don't buy Danny Glover as the main guy. Yeah, yeah. And there's some interesting stuff in Predators, and The Predator was kind of like a train wreck that you didn't want to look wow. away from, yeah. <laughs> because you were just like, wow, this is so weird. Why are they doing this? Yeah, yeah. But even the first one, though, for me, I don't really hold it up nearly as high as this original Alien film. It's not even close, in my opinion. True. Predator is Absolutely. much more of a yeah. standard action movie. Agreed. That just happens to have an Alien character in it. One of the other things I do like
3: about Alien in, in movies from you know this time period, like the 70s and the 80s, and John Carpenter's The Thing, and even Jaws, is like these crews of people that just look like mostly normal people. Where you feel like if they make a movie like this now, the crew has to be like Liam Hemsworth. You know, it's all... Yeah, airbrushed people. Right.
2: That was just how it was in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. You think about the people that were the biggest movie stars in the 70s. It's like none of them would ever even open a movie today. Right. Or how teenagers looked in teen movies back in the 80s versus how they would look now. yeah. They look like they... Are in a magazine ad that's been airbrushed, no flaws whatsoever. Yeah, it's not really as relatable. But, yeah, the people in this definitely look like regular people. Right. And there's definitely a a way to relate to the characters more that way. Are we good here? I think that'll do it for Alien. We're celebrating 40 years of it. It is a classic. It's a movie I'll probably watch many more times in my life. I'd say so. And I ride for Aliens and Prometheus as well. The rest of the franchise is not great. But we're still in. I revisited Alien 3 a couple of times in my life, and every time I think maybe there's something here that I'm missing, that it'll be good this time, because every other thing that Fincher's ever been involved with is great. Sure, yeah. But it never never pans out that way. It always sucks. (laughs) (laughs) It's just inexplicable. All right. So follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Please give us a rating and or review on there as well. That would be great. And anything else to add? Certainly not, Matt. We got it. It's All covered. All right. So thank you for listening.
0: Go sniffed at his carved stone likeness and tried to lick. John smiled. You're the one deserves an honor, he told the wolf, and suddenly he found himself. <sighs> I'm sad. Remembering how he'd found him that day in the late summer snow, they had been riding off with the other pups, but John had heard a noise and turned back, and there he was. White fur, almost invisible against the drifts. He was all alone, he thought. Apart from the others in the litter, he was different, so they drove him out. That's the kind of thing that ghost unlocks for John. That's how important he is to him. And they couldn't even have him pet him goodbye. It kills me.